Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that there is more to confidence in the bedroom or the kitchen or the sex club or a stairwell or the woods or wherever you are. There's so much more to sex wherever you do it than just jackhammering away. But if all you're missing in your relationship is some mutually beneficial stiffness, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office with the doctors that never got trained in sex ed and how to talk to people about it, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They say that there is nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Of course, I know you sweet listeners know that using confidence to connect, if you can be confident enough to be really vulnerable with someone, to communicate, to create a safe space that you occupy together, that is super hot. That's the foundation of a connection. And if you have a boner, that can definitely help you do certain things that you know that I love, just as long as you don't skip all the other stuff too. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. And as they say, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER. At checkout, you just pay $5 shipping. That is bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we smash shame and shift social norms one sexy conversation at a time. And our guest today is a 56-year-old white bisexual male who has been monogamously married for over 20 years to a cis woman with whom he has an understanding. A kinky dom who is into bondage, flogging, giving and receiving anal, naughty roleplay, and over-the-knee spankings, who loves taking his submissive partner deep into subspace. He works in criminal justice and is from Northern California. Welcome, Tom. Hey, thank you. Welcome. Welcome, me. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. Can you start off by telling us, if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame-o-meter, with ten being so full of shame and one being not really shamey at all, where do you fall today right now? And where do you fall, like, in general, if there's a roller coaster? Right now, in this exact moment, zero. I have no shame. I'll tell you whatever you want to know, whatever you want to ask. I'll tell Exciting. you. What about in the rest of your life? Like, are there shamey moments or kind of like, where do your numbers hover in polite society? As far as my sex life, it is private. So I don't have any shame about it. Mm. But there's not a lot of people that know about it. Mm. They know I have a sex life. I kind of have a sex life. They don't know the full details of my dominant side. One friend knows a little bit about it, but I don't think anybody on the outside world, if they were to realize that I have a dom side and the things I do and why I do them would see me that way. But that's because I just try to be an ordinary good guy. I think that's the first time someone has been like, not a high shame because I got secrets or, you know, secrecy versus privacy. I have private... (laughs) Yeah, what do we call those? What's the privacy version of a secret? I have privates. Nope, that's different. (laughs) I mean, you do have privates. I know you have privates. I've listened to all of them. you had written them, I would have read them all. So, yes. (laughs) Can you tell us what 
is sex to you? That's a multi-tiered question. Sex to me can, let's start at the bottom tier, is, can be no intercourse. It starts out like your high school teenagers in the back of a car kissing and making out mm-hmm. and, you know, grinding, you know, exploring each other and, Thigh humping. you know, but it doesn't have to lead to intercourse or anything. It's about the mental, emotional, physical connection at the time. And that's very sexual. Substitute sensual, if you wish, but that's the first tier. And the other ones build off that. Then there's sex that I have with my submissive that is just raw. At the time, we're having this raw, carnal, lusting sex. She's not my submissive. She's my lover. Mm. I separate the two. Really? Try to. And, you know, sometimes she likes it a little rough. You know, we haven't uh, been together in a while. And more than not, if it's a difficult re-entry, she doesn't care. She'll say, push through, (laughs) shall we say. Because she has a very passionate, loving, deep other side to, which I'll get into. That's the third tier. But she enjoys being made love to Mm. and getting fucked. Mm -hmm. Depending on, you know, what's going on. And the third tier, back to the making love. She once asked me, what's the difference between fucking and making love? And I said, I'll show you. And one time we were together, I took her back into the bedroom. And I slowly, gently put all my heart and soul into kissing her, nibbling on her earlobe, kissing her down her neck, suckling on her nipples, just building all the gentle sensuality that I could. When we had intercourse, it was not raw or rough. It was spiritual. Mm. She's clawing at the sheets because the sensual intensity is building. And that's making love. Fucking is not making love. Mm. Making love is being passionate and soulful and emotionally and mentally engaged with your partner, with what you're doing, with caring and love and so forth. Fucking is fucking. You can do that with yourself or with a flashlight. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's different. I got my first video from someone that had a flashlight today, and I was like, I get to see it up close. What a great multi-tiered answer. Also, if ever in the future you discover other tiers or sub-tiers or like whatever, I'm always here for that update oh sub tiers i'm definitely interested in (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) good point (laughs) of course you are tell us how does sex influence your life well i listen to your podcast during the day while i'm working Mm. so there's that influence well you know i have a boring government paper pusher kind of job i need some kind of entertainment to keep me going through the day and to enlighten my way of thinking there's been many a podcast that I've thought, no, oh, never thought about it that way. Or, oh, God, I wish I could tell Wyo this, or I could tell the interviewee. I want to jump in and say that. So, otherwise, in my daily life, it's not a thing. Mm. Mid-50s, and to all the younger fans of yours and listeners, you know, I, you interview a lot of people between their 20s and, and up. Things change after you've been married a while. Mm. Mother Nature has a way of changing things after you've been married a while. So just be prepared for that. Don't jump ship just because the passionate sex isn't there anymore. Find something else to keep that anchored. Don't just jump ship and move on to the next iPhone that came along. Mm. Is there an influence, though, like when you're getting fucked? Because it sounds like you have a really hot, sexy relationship in your life. And does that fuel your life in some way, shape, or form? Or maybe just give us a little overview of what your sex life is like right now in your favorite parts. Well, actually, it's going to be a little disappointing. (laughs) Oh, okay. Because me and my lover and submissive, who is my best friend, we see each other frequently but we haven't had the opportunity to get together and play in any way, shape, or form in a while. Okay. Months. That was until last Wednesday. 
<gasps> and she came over for what I call a maintenance spanking. I believe they're important in a BDSM relationship, at least in my style of BDSM relationship. Those endorphins and such, they don't just fade away. They're always being refreshed. And last Wednesday, after a really good maintenance spanking, that res <laughs> she is only one of two submissives that has orgasms from spanking. I have read about this, and I'm so curious. And also, I like was slapping myself in the bathtub this week just for funsies, but pussy slapping, not spanking slapping. And I was like, oh, maybe. But was she always like that? No, she was never like that. She'd never been in a BDSM relationship in her life. No, no, no. But like the spankings, like from the beginning, was it like day one of spanking? She's like, oh, this can no. make me come. No, it's something you. No, she, she didn't even know she could come from being spanked. I didn't know if she could come from being spanked. Interesting. Like since she was fairly a newbie to the lifestyle when we got started in this. And I wasn't trying to make this happen. It's not like I was fondling her or fingering her or using a toy on her while I'm spanking her. Yeah, no. No. I think it was, it developed because of the amount of trust that we have with each other and the love and desire we have for each other. I think that's where the genesis, you know, the birthstone of that came from, from spanking her and grabbing hold of her ponytail and pulling it a little tight so her hair tugs at the same time. First time she had an orgasm in my lap, that was amazing because I didn't expect that from her. I've only had one other submissive that do that, but not only has she been able to have orgasms from spanking over my knee, actually more correctly in my lap, she's been able to have multiples. Wow. She doesn't have orgasms every time, but she has, and there have been a few times she's had multiples. So that leads up to after our last maintenance spanking, we pretty much couldn't help but keep our hands off of each other and had good nice fucking. Amazing. This is the first time I'm hearing the phrase maintenance spanking, and I'm relatively really? new to spanking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm a generalist, okay? I have a long bucket list, and I'm, I've spent two years organizing it, and I'm just getting started, truly. And I am so curious. Like, you said a little bit about endorphins, but I'm not sure I totally understand. Like, tell me more about, like, your understanding of maintenance spanking. Maybe just give me a little primer on it. <laughs> After a good spanking, if I do it correctly and I spank her ass in the right spots, when she goes to work the next day and sits down, she's going to remember that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the point of a maintenance spanking is to keep her at that level. <gasps> if timing allows and family issues don't get in the way, it could be a weekly thing. Does she get bruises anymore? Does she get bruises? Oh, fuck yes. I don't know, because I know some people's bodies adjust and they stop getting bruises after a while. And I have not been mm -hmm. spanked once a week ever. Oh. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Okay. no. She, she bruises up nicely. <sighs> We've had a period of time where we haven't been able to play, so we're building back up to that. That's so hot. But I use my hands primarily. I love using my hands. I'm very tactile that hands way. Are so hot. And not to mention, she's got a beautiful ass just mm. lying there in my lap and it's like ah yummy she can bruise from my hand spanking alone but as the spanking builds up we can move on to other things i have a wooden paddle that i love to use there's even a video of it on my profile on fit life ping pong paddles are a great starter kit for any of you out there looking for something other than your hand Ping pong paddles are great. Just realize they're meant to imply a lot of force in one spot. Right. So be gentle with them at first until you understand how much impact they actually have. Because they show a, have a whole lot more impact than you might think. I would also imagine that texture is a very specific feeling. I also really like hairbrushes. Like paddle hairbrushes. Love those. Wooden or the plastic ones are so silly. Oh, I agree. But that's what this is for. Okay, so we are looking at like kind of a skinny-ish paddle that has a little handle here, and we've got two holes. Are they? Do they go in at all, or are they just right next to each other? Like, 
Is there a texture on those holes or are they kind of flush with the paddle? They cave in. They're making a nice little moon. Oh, I love it. There's that. And then I've recently purchased a new toy that she really seems to like. And we need to have a lot more practice with it. It's a different style riding crop. It's got a good solid wood handle, brass rivets holding up to a leather strap. It's like a belt strap. (gasps) I love those. That counts as a crop? Yeah, because you smack a horse on the ass with this, it's going to move. Although she's not allowed to move. Squiggling is the funnest part. She's not allowed to move? She can squiggle, but she can't inch her way off my lap with it. Okay. One of my favorite things is when I'm getting too squiggly, if the person who is holding me over their knee, like, I don't actually even know how this happens now that I'm trying to describe what's happening out loud. Maybe it's like they cross their legs over me so I can't move. I'm not I actually have no idea what's happening. I'm going to have to ask him. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I do. But I prefer her to just lie flat on my lap. I want her to squirm and undulate and Mm. let those emotions and tingly feelings and all that just flow. Yeah, that's so hot. Could you tell us, how are you personally? making the world, your world, a sexier, more loving place. If I talk to somebody new about the BDSM lifestyle, and there are vastly different worlds of it, some pretty dark and I don't approve of, but that's, you know, somebody who's new. And this is how we started. When she actually admitted, yes, she has some interest in this. I gave her a book to read. And this is the book that I recommend to every new person in the lifestyle. And it's a book from uh, Jay Wiseman, SM 101. That's on my list, but I haven't read it yet. Okay, I'll read it next. It's not all Fifty Shades of Grey with the contracts and all that and stuff. It's more about a mutual understanding. You can have written contracts. But it's about understanding each other, being on the same page as far as what limits are, what soft limits, hard limits, and things that need to be discussed. And for somebody that's new in the lifestyle, I think it's an excellent starting point. So if they come across somebody that's just not right, they know what the safe place should be. They have the basic information to say, okay, I was interested, but now you're getting weird. And I don't want to go there. And they'll be persuaded because they understand the very basics of safe words and being safe and initial contacts, having a dear trusted friend know where you are and when to hear back from you. Yes. Kind of thing. Safety buddies. Tell us what your sex education was like. be the best answer I've gotten or worst, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) What education? Okay. Well, you got something. You learned something. You're here. So tell us about it. It had nothing to do with primary education. I can tell you that. So literally zero in school? There was. And I thought about this. I don't really remember any of it. All I remember is it was kind of an awkward class to be in. And that's about it. I think it was middle school. What about a sex talk? With the parents? Or anyone, any adult you trust? Nothing from mom. Okay. No, not really. Dad was use protection, things like that. Didn't really give any real sexual advice, but I'm in my 50s. Dad grew up in the 30s. So different views on different things and the world changes. And so does, you know, lifestyles and ethics and vocabulary. You know, there are some things that were said on TV and stuff in the 60s, 70s, and even 80s that would offend a dramatic number of people if they were said today. Totally. So vocabularies change as well in the way people are described and such. So now there wasn't a whole lot of a sex talk because I think that's just the way things were then. Damn. Okay. What are safer sex conversations like for you now? And how did you learn to have them? My wife and I were swinging. We were particular about the uh, playground, it was called, that we went to. It was run by a nurse. So she was very particular about, you know, 
safe sex and so forth. I mean, there were beds and pillows lining the practically the walls. You can, you know, do anything just about anywhere. But there was also a bowl of condoms in every possible room. I think if you open the refrigerator, you get water, there's a bowl of condoms in there. And with my submissive, we communicated with each other and were upfront with each other with any concerns or anything we had before any intercourse took place. Do that include testing? Does it include protection? Like, tell us kind of like what your personal needs are around your own health and safety with partners. Protection is on the table. We are fluid bonded. To the best of our knowledge, there's no surprises at this point, but we'd be honest with each other if it did, because she has a personal life outside of this, Mm -hmm. right? She's a mother, working mom. She's not married, in a sense, to me, although kind of, if you want to consider the Wiccan ceremony we had. So, you know, she has a boyfriend, you know, and if there was anything that was ever a concern, she'd tell me. That's all there is to it. So you guys have open communication, and it sounds like you have talked about the level of risk that you're both comfortable with, and it sounds like you both have, you know, other people in your life who may be affected, and you have a system that works for you. Correct. No concerns about pregnancy. I come in every hole and on her face and on her tits and just wherever the moment feels the best place. Sometimes she'll be sucking my cock and say, I'm getting close. Where do you want it? And she'll say, on my tits or on my face or or she'll just keep going. That's nice. You let her pick. Well, yeah. Well, (laughs) making me feel really good. Why would I want to make her stop? Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. If you are listening to this, you are probably like me and you love sex. And you also know that fantastic sex takes more than just a boner. But if that's all that's missing in your connection with your partner, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. You know, that's my favorite. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with the awkwardness that exists because physicians are not often given great guidance about how to talk about sensitive personal things like boner softness, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. With Blue Chew, penis owners everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. And you know I love a good package. And I have to say, am I allowed to say this? It was very hot when I had a partner who I already had a good, trusting, open relationship. He'd been working on his anxiety, cutting down on screens, meditating, he quit smoking, he started exercising regular, cutting out processed foods, all of that stuff. He was just of a certain age, and I'll just say, the night that he told me he was making his package arrive, it was a very super hot extra layer of turn-on for me personally. So if it's for you, this is a super convenient resource. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com, chew it, and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Take us now through your personal sexual timeline, starting with your very first memories and your earliest understandings of sex. I think I was introduced to it via a black and white porno my dad had somewhere and <laughs> saying, oh that's what sex is okay don't think i talked to friends about it but i do recall as my body developed more i guess having fantasies of mm. sort they were kinky then Can you give us a little sense of how old were you when you first were exposed to the porno and like when these fantasies started? Seven or eight. And those fantasies were there. I hadn't even discovered masturbation at that point. Those fantasies and urges were growing. I remember there was a time that these stirrings in me, I thought they had to be sexually related somehow. I 
didn't really fully understand what sex was. I just knew that what I was watching was very arousing. Okay. And you knew that was sex. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. That was sex. That's what sex is, is people doing that thing that they're doing on the screen. You know, I don't remember when it was, if it was after the porno or not that, I came downstairs and told my mom and dad to get me a Barbie for my GI Joe. <sighs> Did they? No, but dad got me a subscription to Playboy. Really? How old were you? Well, it was in his name, but 10. Okay. So that was your sex education. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess. Yeah. What do you remember learning from it or seeing in it? I haven't looked at very many old Playboys, although I did buy myself some boxes of them. Did it have anything about SNM or was it pretty nope. tame? Okay. Playboy's pretty tame. Beautiful women, nudity, lovely shapes. Yeah, the childhood thing, it's it's hard for me to process what happened when and how. I do know I had these urges I couldn't figure out what they were, except that I really needed a Barbie doll. And somehow that would solve the problem. (laughs) But I don't think I fully understood what they were. Yeah. When did you start discovering, exploring your own body? I remember the first time I experienced masturbation. Well, masturbation with ejaculation. I was in the shower with soap, stroking myself, and I had this tingly feeling and rush of flushness and I orgasmed for the first time. I thought, wow, that was amazing. Can you do it again? (laughs) So uh, that was my uh, first experience with that. Important next would be a high school girlfriend. In essence, she taught me how to kiss because I was so shy and just so scared that I couldn't bring myself to kiss her so she kissed me and then she taught me how to tongue and so forth and that jump started a lot of kissing and groping but never led to sex years later she told me her mom thought i'd be her first but that wasn't the case oh my first wasn't until my next girlfriend which they knew each other in fact she told my new girlfriend hey i taught him how to kiss so you owe me (laughs) That relationship started in high school. There was a lot of kissing, a lot of groping, uh, a lot of making out, uh, a lot of times in a parked car, kissing and masturbating each other to orgasm. We didn't actually get to having sex until much later. I was 19. My friend's father wanted to auction me off as a virgin to pay off the mortgage on his house. I wish I had thought of that. I was like trying to lose my virginity. I'm like, oh my God, people sell that? Damn. (laughs) If only I'd known back then. (laughs) Okay, so you had some sexual experiences and then you had like intercourse. Like what was important about that for you? As a teenage boy, it was very important to me because I was no longer going to be scared of it. First time we had sex was on said friend's father's house on the couch For me, it was amazing. She wasn't a virgin, but I was. And there was a joy and euphoria. As our relationship developed, I just had these instinctful urges of wanting to go down on her and somehow instinctively knew generally, you know, where to kiss, where to lick, where to perform cunnilingus. It was early on like that, that I learned how to read my partner's body language. Mm. If I did this, it feels good to her. If I don't do that, it seems to do nothing for her. So I, I learned to try to pick up the subtle signs so that next time I could be a little bit better and a little bit better. Was that all you putting the pieces together? Did you have verbal conversations? A little hard to explain. Even back then, I was picking up senses of body language. And as far as the way her breathing would change, or I could feel her heart rate change, or I could feel her tremble, or her legs clench, or moaning, and you know, picking up on those subtlenesses of the changes that her body was experiencing, 
helped me understand it more. And I don't know how much we talked about it after, except that she really wanted me to do it again. That's a pretty good And again, again, and again, and again, and again. That's the key, maybe. (laughs) Okay, so when did you discover your dominant self and your bisexual self? There was a S&M part of my life that I didn't realize that's what it was then as an adolescent. Yeah, yeah. It was seven or eight years old, visiting my cousin, staying over the night, and we would talk about these, I guess, fantasies, you would describe them now, about having girls we liked tied up and like a little paddle wheel of some sort constantly spanking their private part and, you know, pussy slapping on and on and on. And, you know, we talk about different ways that we could do this and, you know, have them suspended by rope from the wrists and you know, various things. And at that age, I didn't know anything, but it was there. I learned to be a dom pretty much by instinct. And when I look back at it through this question, it was always there in some form, I think. It wasn't until many, many years later I let it evolve. When I started practicing BDSM was late 30s. My wife and I were swingers, and we would do that fairly regularly. She called me one day after work and said, Hey, we're going to go over to so-and-so's house after work and have margaritas. I said, we are? She's like, yeah. I said, I don't know these people. Why do I want to go spend time with them? (laughs) Your least favorite thing. Places with people you don't know. Exactly. And I thought, okay, I'll go. But I'm former Navy, and it turns out he was a former Marine. So we naturally connected. Oh, you didn't fight about which branch was better? Navy and Marines are like siblings. Oh, really? Okay. Only we can give each other a bad time. In fact, the only bar fight I was in in the military was on an Army post. My dad's Air Force. One uncle's Navy. The other one is Army. So they were, you know, they were always like, (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) Then his wife came home and, you know, we started talking and everybody drinking. And as things went on, We just got real comfortable with each other. He and I are sitting at the kitchen table with our cocktails. And all of a sudden, I don't know how this happened. It's never been explained to me. But my wife and his wife come back from the other room holding hands. And I thought, okay, didn't see that coming. And I looked at him and I said, did I see what I think I saw? He goes, oh, I should have warned you. My wife's by. And my wife and her hit it off. That first night, we damn near ended up naked in the hot tub. But my wife pumped the brakes on that and said, no, we need to go. So she got me home. And the next morning, we're in bed. And were we set up? Did he set us up? Did he know this was going to happen? And then we talked to him. And he's all, oh, hell no. I had no idea. But if you guys were interested and it's like they didn't know we were swingers they had no idea oh interesting okay the theory was that he wanted to get into my wife's pants and he did but that's not why he invited us over and he did (laughs) okay okay so they didn't know you were swingers you didn't know that they were an option is what i'm hearing from this story exactly but you guys just all hit it off and then like Did you tell them at any point you were swingers? Was she bi? Were you bi? Yes. Okay. At that time, I was not bi. She was what we called bi-comfortable at that point. Okay. Okay with being a woman, but not really sure about how far she'd be willing to go or whatever. Okay. So when you were 19, you had partnered sex for the first time, and it sounds like it was like really hot and like pretty vanilla-ish. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And then late 30s, we have this hot couple that you've met, and we have a bi-comfortable and a not yet aware of by you. So when you went into swinging, were you mostly swapping? And also what led up, like what were your 20s like? What happened before that? Like what vanilla pieces 
you know, even if they aren't interesting, like what got you to swinging? Like, well, how did we get there? I ended up getting divorced from my first wife, met my wife at the place I was working, my current wife. That's how we ended up getting together and getting married. As far as how we got it, started getting into swinging, because when we were first together, there wasn't a safe flat surface anywhere. Uh, <laughs> okay. Side story, we're driving home from a charitable event. She's had a couple of cocktails and she decides she wants to lean over, unzip my pants and pull my dick out. And it's like, okay, I, I can do this. I can, this is good. And then she leans over and starts sucking on it. And I'm looking for an off ramp. Oh. And I found a pullout on the side of the road and I pulled over, rolled down the dirt hill and parked. And she looked up at me and said, smart man. That's hot. Is there anything we need to visit from your first marriage, even if it's just to say the sex was like this or it was like that, or I learned this about myself or I learned what I don't want? The only thing about it is I got really good at cunnilingus because she would rather I did that than have sex with her. Okay. You know, as soon as we were making out, she'd just start pushing my head down. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, I, 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 yeah, she was aggressive about it. Do you, how do you feel about that? I know a lot of vagina owners who are like, don't you fucking push my head down. And I'm sort of like, and once we're at this stage, if you'd like to push my head down, you know, like, but how did it feel to you, though? Early on, it was, all right, right on, this rodeo is going to get started. And then later, I saw it as more selfish because she wouldn't return the favor of oral sex. Yeah, it's hard when our needs don't get met to want to be as generous. That's how I feel. Yeah. Right. So... That was with the first wife. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor. And they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice. So I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities. All thanks to Floor. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Floor and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Fleur app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Fleur invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Fleur now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. My loving wife, we had a fantastic sex life. Like I said, none of us safe flat surface. If we're out walking on the beach and we saw two rocks in the cliffside that would provide privacy, game's on. But this is where the uh, pitfalls of being married comes in. You're with the same partner all the time, and the sex is fantastic because the infatuation and the lust and everything is right there. But when you're with the same partner for a period of time, it gets repetitive. Mm. It gets boring. It gets comfortable. It gets, oh, want to have sex tonight? Uh, all right. Uh, should we put in a porno? Sure. Get us started. But we're too young for that. Mm. I suggested, well, would you be interested in considering swinging? And she thought, I don't know. And then one night there was an HBO feature called Real Sex, R-E-E-L. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And it was basically a documentary on swingers clubs mm -hmm. and the way they were run. And, you know, the people and how friendly they were and how great everybody was and how safety was a thing and how nobody was pressured to do anything, you know, in the clubs, their playgrounds, they were interviewing. And she looked at me and said, if it's like that, I'm interested. Mm. Said, 
okay, honey, why don't you look into it and let me know if you're interested? So I let her do the research and look into it and start that path for us. Because okay. I didn't want to start it myself and be afraid that she felt she was being drugged along. I want her to drag my ass along. Okay. And she did. We put up a profile on Adult Friend Finder. And we met some couples there and played a little bit. And then she found this playground run by a nurse. And we went to a New Year's Eve event because she said, tell you what, you guys come on down. You don't have to do anything and keep your clothes on. Just check us out. If you're interested, then you know, we'll see you again. If not, it was nice to have your company. So we went down and, you know, had some champagne and stuff and saw a lot going on. We didn't participate. Uh, we did stay the night. We did have sex with each other because pretty turned on by that point that evening after everybody had left. And the next morning, you know, had breakfast with the uh, hosting couple and decided, okay, next time we come down, we're going to get more involved. So we were doing all that. And that's when the infamous tequila party arose. Okay. And now we know that they have an open relationship and we swing and we're all four interested. And so the Holy grail, we started playing with them, different rooms, different things. His wife was insatiable. This is how I got my first submissive. She was my first submissive because back to those instincts I was telling you about, there was something about her that I just felt, I don't know where exactly this may go, but I wonder. So she liked to go out in the garage and make out. They had a couch and stuff out there. I was kissing her and I reached up to the back base of her neck, wound my fingers in her hair, gently gave a tug. Mm -hmm. And she let out a breath of, <gasps> and I knew that she was a submissive and she was going to blank spanking and nipple play mm. and so forth and then i leaned over and just lightly bit on her earlobe and got the same response and her lower lip same response like okay this is something we'll need to talk about next time and that's where i really started in depth consciously exploring my dominant side and her submissive side and she was not only the first submissive, but the first one to have orgasms from being spanked. Mm. Was that your first time spanking? Yes. Ooh. But apparently I have a knack for it. Also, apparently my touch does things to people. But yeah, she was a pain slut, loved to be spanked, and she bought me my first flogger, which I still have today. It's fabulous leather deerskin. If you're familiar with the San Francisco area, it was Madam S, and she's no longer business, but her husband has a large leather community called Mr. S, and he handmade the floggers, and this thing is beautiful. Mm. So she gave it to me, and we played around with it. I restrained her with some rope, pinched her nipples and nipple clamps, and she was highly responsive to just about anything. And this is where we get into the difference of subspaces. We went to the Citadel, if you're familiar, in San Francisco. And I tied her to a St. Andrew's cross. And I was flogging her ruthlessly. I don't know if it's the dopamines or the endorphins or what, but her brain chemistry, through all the intensity and sensations she was feeling, she went to a different place. She actually started laughing. Mm -hmm. And the harder I flogged her, the more she laughed. I'm kind of like that sometimes. I get hysterical. And I had to go up to her and say, what's your safe word? Mm. Because I knew she was in a completely different realm. Yeah. Good. And when we started doing this, every time, anytime we'd be playing and she'd start to get really into it, I would stop and ask her what her safe word was. And the reason for that is I need her to be able to pull that word out of nowhere, no matter what state of mind she's in. Yep. 
matter how deep in subspace she is, I need her to be able to pull that. Yeah. So I'd constantly be asking for it to be planting that in her mind as things got deeper and deeper and deeper into subspace. Yeah. She was just in a different place. And frankly, my arm was tired. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so started backing it down. I started caressing her, you know, rubbing her wrists around the shackles, feeling her fingertips. That's important with me when you got somebody bound. You constantly feel the fingertips. If they're getting cold or turning color, either loosen them or take them down so the blood can recirculate. That's a big indicator for me. You know, I took her down and I sat on the floor. She curled up in my lap and I started the aftercare process which is something I never really knew, but again, instinctually knew that if somebody's been gone to a different place, when they come back, they're going to need to feel safe. Mm -hmm. So she just sat there in my lap and gently, you know, caressing her and talking to her gently and kissing her on her head and such and her forehead and temples. She came back down and, you know, she said to me, wow. I don't even know where I was. And I said, that was amazing. And it was at that moment I realized I'm not into this for the sex. What drives me is that state of subspace. A lot of submissive get subspace through the entire sexual enjoyment aspects of BDSM. I look for, can I bring you to a different place? Can I make you forget your troubles? And with my current submissive, when I was flogging her one time, she had a massive breakthrough as far as you know her tolerance and subspace. She started crying. And I checked in with her and said, are you okay? Are you hurt? And she goes, no, I've just never been so peaceful before. Mm. And that is what drives me. Okay, but how do you separate them though? Like I hear people talk about this and I'm like, how do you separate a physical experience from a physical and mental and emotional experience? You know, it's like it's like when on the neuroscience podcasts when they're like it's the body versus the brain. I'm like the brain's not separate from your body. The nervous system is a nervous system. Like what's the distinction for you that feels important? The easy way for me to separate it is they're not separate. I just alter the direction of that desire and energy as this is going on. And the more aroused I get, I find I am more sensitive to being able to listen and hear and read and pay attention to the little nuances that my submissive is experiencing. It's not a desire to have sex with them. Got it's it. a heightened attention that I get allows me, I think, to be able to take these submissives to that different level of yeah. subspace. It's not sexually related. And the aftercare is even that much more important because they've taken their mind to a place where they are so safe and yet vulnerable at the same time. And you don't want them coming down from that and just booting them out the door. That'd be traumatizing as hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. The aftercare is so critical. So it's like you use your extreme attention to detail and the way it sounds like you're giving an immense amount of attention, tracking that person and creating like this gorgeous state change. And you're a big container for whatever comes up for them. And I, I really hear the safety in your methods. And that's so hot. Yeah, that's kind of it. And it's not for every submissive, you know? I don't look for submissives. They find me. And the ones that do seem to be the ones that are receptive to this. Do you mean like they find you like just magnetized? Like you're because you've stumbled into two? Or do you mean like... They just happen to find me. Okay. okay. So there's not like an ad we should know about somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. They, they, I just happen to meet somebody and there's a connection there. I have, I call her still my submissive because she hasn't asked to be released, although I haven't seen her in a while. She's trans. We had met online and I don't even remember what platform it was at that time, mm -hmm. but we had been chatting and started texting 
And I said, well, would you be willing to meet somewhere neutral just so we can see each other and talk? And that's it. And she reluctantly said yes. And we met in a parking lot out front of her apartment. It was evening. And she was pretty standoffish. You know, she was there, arms crossed, not welcoming, very much protecting herself. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit and she didn't seem interested. And I said, may I touch you? And she goes, where? I said, I just want to touch your arms. You have lovely arms. Mm-hmm. So she goes, okay. After I touched her arms, I felt her shiver. And she said, okay, mm-hmm. we'll do this. The animal body knows. And she said, there was no way I was going to go forward with this with you. But the second you touched me, instantly, I knew it was right. And I've been told that by other submissives, too, that there's something about when I touch them, there's an energy that they feel if it's being safe or whatever, they, they just, something about my touch just, and I always ask permission to touch first. You can't just assume just because you're talking to somebody online or texting them and whatever, that it gives you permission to physically touch them. Yeah. I'm so glad you know that. You know, it's it's funny when you were talking about the way that you did kind of the test with the hair, with the pulling the hair in the mm-hmm. back. You know, so recently, lately with new lovers, I've been letting them know, I'm like, you know, I really love intensity. However, to get there, I need trust building. And what that looks like for me is I don't do surprises the first time. I do like having my hair pulled. I don't want it pulled hard. I don't want it pulled out of nowhere. And so that's actually the cue that I've been giving people. And I, I give them this verbal example before we're fucking. And I'm like, you know, like I like a hand to slide up and see. I like the eye contact that checks in with me. I like the touch. And so it sounds like you just naturally have that. And it's fucking amazing. I have to say, it's just something that instinctually is where it grew from. And after my first submissive, that's when I started building an extensive library on BDSM. In fact, the laptop Right now, I was sitting on top of two Marquis de Sade books that you're sitting on. So, uh, Okay. I've never actually read Marquis um, de Sade. However, the movie Quills is the movie I wrote a paper about to get into film school. So, <laughs> The original writing is challenging because it's yeah. translated French. But yeah, I, that's when I started an extensive library and started reading and realizing that the things that I seem to already know is common amongst the community. Some people have to learn it and learn it from a good master, a father dom, so to speak, to teach another dom how to do it. But for me, it seems to be a natural thing. But it sounds like you also have read a book or two at this point. Like it sounds like you had inclinations and it sounds like you've also honed your skills, which I just think is important to put words to because I will tell everyone out there listening 100% of the time when I have met someone on an app or on FetLife, they're like, oh, natural dom. They've been kind of rapey, and you don't seem like that, so I just want to be really oh. careful with language here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. F- fuck no. No, no, no. Respect has to be one of the very first things. Yeah. This whole thing in my world runs on honesty with each other and respect for each other. Yeah, I hear that if really If one strongly. doesn't want to do something for whatever reason, don't push it. Okay, if they're being a bratty submissive, well, that's a different thing than if they really physically don't want to do something. And you have to respect that. Both directions. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, you know, being a dom, you have to respect them and each other so that when we start with being spanking or flogging or bondage or whatever, and we start to go into subspace, there's not a question in the back of their mind at all that they're safe. I would love to hear some of the specifics of your turn-ons, turn-offs, favorite sensations. You know, you mentioned anal, you mentioned naughty role play, you mentioned over-the-knee spankings, which you've told us a little bit about, but like, what specifics do you want to dive into? Turn-ons for me can vary. It can be a look, lingerie, naughty breath. It can be a kiss. 
that will all definitely get me turned on. You know, as far as going into like anal sex that I really enjoy giving and receiving, although I've only been pegged. So again, there's another thing that requires a great deal of trust. I really enjoy it. My submissive really enjoys it. I keep saying submissive, but I don't have sex with her when she's my submissive, but when she's my lover, yeah. I also have a fondness for occasionally wearing panties and stockings and schoolgirl skirt. I love my schoolgirl skirt because of the way it makes my ass feel. You know, there are nights when, you know, I'm home alone and take a hot shower, have an enema, put on my stockings and panties and so forth and get out the lube and just have a great time. That's so hot. Do you play with toys with yourself or is it like fingers? Like what do you, what's your... I have toys. I start out with a medium-sized butt plug Mm. and work my way up to a larger butt plug. And then I'll work my way up into my smaller dildo. And then if I'm really getting frisky, I'll get into my medium-sized dildo. And then if I'm just really (laughs) being naughty, I'll get out the big dildo. (laughs) How long does all of that take? Just like, just out of curiosity. When I'm in that mode, I'm impatient. (laughs) I want it all now. (laughs) I get it. So it's hard to calm down and pace myself. Amazing. I mean, if your asshole can handle it, there's no right or wrong answer, right? Like, (laughs) Apparently, yeah, it can. It seems to adapt back fairly quickly. Yeah. Riding a dildo in a pair of open crotch panties in my schoolgirl's skirt and hoping my legs don't give out. Yeah. That's so hot. Do you, are you like home alone when you do this? Or is it like something where you yes. can just be in your own room? Okay. Okay. Cause I'm like, what psychic yeah. space needs to be in place? That's so hot. What kind of panties? Are you more like lacy, silky? Do you have a variety? I mean, crotchless obviously, but. <laughs> Lace. Okay. Lace. Oh, cool. They're not all crotchless. I have some uh, man panties, I guess they're called. That panties. I have a pocket in the Love that. Yeah. And they're boy shorts and they're lacy and I love the way they feel. And, and you know, there are some thongs and, you know, various others and crotchless and some that just have a wonderful little lace pattern on the ass that, mm. with a little bow on the top and that allows great access. Lace is my thing. That's so hot. I want to ask a follow-up question because I don't think I understood this from the intro, although now I'm like, oh, you said it very clearly. So you really make a clear distinction between like submissive, we are not fucking or like having intercourse, lover, we are. Pretty much all the time. As a submissive, there's no sex. Okay. There have been times that, yeah, there has been. Like the last time I gave my submissive a maintenance spanking, couldn't help herself but want to uh, give me head. So, okay. I get it. And that led into a good fucking. <laughs> but as an example of why... Other than the heightened arousal and attention to detail, say after she's had a good maintenance spanking in my lap and she leans up and leans against me for the aftercare and just curls up in a little ball and she has the most peaceful, content look on her face. Why would I want to ruin that moment for something I can have later? This is a special Mm. moment. Okay, so it would be a ruin. So for me, I'm like, it's literally a punishment if I'm getting spanked and not allowed to access the cock. And like one of the brat games that I've been like learning to play, you know, the game is basically like I'm trying to get to the cock and I have to get spanks first because I've been naughty because I, you know, various reasons. But this is where I'm a, I'm a different yeah, no, dom. No, that's, that's why I love like hearing these details because I'm like, but what about getting spanked with a cock in your mouth? You know, Because <laughs> I can take so much more pain. And we can play those games and have played those games too. But it's yeah. that's more but sexual fun. I, I see what you're saying. No, I think that's a cool distinction. And I, I really like hearing that detail. And that it makes a lot of sense when you spell it out for me. And so I'm, I'm glad I got to hear that. Yeah, because it's important. It, yeah. it goes back to that trust and caring and love, and it's just the way I am. And I think it's important for everyone to know, too. Like you said, it's, you know, kink and BDSM is different for everyone, even though we may use the same words to describe activities. That's why I really love super long-form conversations. I mean, look at us. <laughs> but we're not there yet, so uh, staying focused, what other sensations or toys or 
role-player games feed your sexual soul? She and I have various ways of exploring different kinks. Like I said, she can like it rough. The first time I had sex with her, I bent her over her bedroom bed and just pushed her face down into the mattress and just fucked her hard. And I could see under my hand, she was grinning the entire time. When she's pegging me or using a toy on me, I tell her, I said, don't touch my dick. See if we can make me have a prostate orgasm. I've yet to do it, but the sensation is just so amazing. I don't want to come that fast and not enjoy it for longer. That's so cool. And I love working towards stuff like that. You know, kind of like you were saying, like, I don't know if I'll ever come from a spanking, but I fucking want to try. And last time I feel like, I don't know, something new was happening. So who knows? What other personal pleasure discoveries have you made about yourself? Other than the cross-dressing, that's probably it at the time. What else do you want to explore? I would like to have enough uh, confidence to be able to go out dressed. Okay. I'm an ugly ass girl. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Not true. I think everyone's a beautiful girl, personally, who wants to be. But one of the things about it that turns me on so much is when I've got that skirt on and so much of my ass is showing and I can feel it and feel the cool air, it makes me want to feel desired and lust after and maybe be built up and groped and, you know, be the object of somebody else's arousal mm-hmm. and desire and experience that. Mm. And hopefully it's the right person. And I lose my anal virginity to the right cock. Ooh, hot. Hope I, yeah, may it be so in divine timing. Yes, please. That would be something I'd really like to be able to do. I don't know if it's anything I'll be able to do at this point in my life, but you never know. I was going to say, we can hold the hope lightly with you and see what unfolds, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. with non-attachment. You've answered this in many ways. Your attention to detail, your thoughtfulness, your clear emotional intelligence. But I would like to hear if you think there are any other specific skills that make you a great lover that we haven't covered yet. Bringing them to that same sexual satisfaction level that they get out of being in subspace. Bringing them that is my sexual satisfaction. Okay, even if I don't have sex with her, look what I've done for her. Look look how beautiful she is. My lover, when she's in the throes of passion, when we're making love, she's got this most beautiful look on her face that is just, I mean, she's a very pretty girl. But those moments, she is just radiant. Those are the things that get me off. Same. Yeah. That's like what I, I mean, not even as so much of a dominant, but as a facilitator. When I'm, yeah. I totally know what you mean. That's so hot. That's beautiful. And I would say that's exactly what makes a good lover. Like that, that care and attention and desire I hear in your voice. And if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice, what age would you pick and what would you say? Early eight or nine. And I would tell myself, don't be scared to talk to the girls. And always be respectful and don't be shy about things because I was always that, that guy. I was always too shy to talk to a girl and scared. And I would try to persuade him to not feel those intimidations so that he could be more open to interacting with girls and going from there. I don't know if that's sexual advice or just life advice, but. Is there ever really a difference? That's kind of my personal thesis. It's all so connected. But if you had an unlimited budget to build your perfect playroom or castle or whatever space you want, what would that be like? You said castle and that's right on the money. I know. When you said castle, I was like, me too. I've been drawing castles that I think might be a future retreat space since I was little. So tell us about your castle. And I feel like you were going to talk about dungeons. I don't know. Well, they're be different dungeons for different things. There's a part of it that's just sleeping quarters, so to speak, like Regular a you know, sleeping hotel, resort, castle. or whatever, but it's a castle. It's been updated. 
there's some of the rooms that are just for couples that want to swing together. There's a mid-level room with light bondage equipment in it, some leather wrist cuffs and some stuff, but open and friendly to swingers and group activities. They may, if they want to engage in exploring some bedroom bondage, as I call it, great. Then there's the other levels where a dom like me could have my dungeon or playroom that's reminiscent maybe of Fifty Shades Christian's playroom in the movie, but different. Yeah. I like the way he had that set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. And then there's the other playrooms that are bondage, rope, sex, all over the place. Is there a classroom too? Ideally, there would be a classroom. I would have to retain the services of some of your guests as instructors, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I would wait. Classroom, library. I'm always thinking about the turret, and, and my bedroom would be at the top of the turret, and the whole turret would be full of books. And I could look down from the bottom and whoever's fucking on whatever level. But this is your story. Okay, so <clears throat> any other well, thoughts about me... your magic castle? Yeah, what's it be keeping up? Top of the turrets could be almost an exhibitionist type flogging room with the St. Andrew's cross that faces out over the countryside. Uh, I'm also, as you're saying that, I'm imagining not exactly like a walk the plank because we wouldn't be safe, but like, you know, a jut that people from down below could see, you know, like so they can like mm-hmm. look up. Oh, maybe it's glass. <gasps> Oof. But it's not soundproof so they can hear no, her. Absolutely not soundproof. No. Coming, open. I want some open air stuff. Strikes and- yeah. Ooh, maybe there's even a microphone so it gets amplified down below. Or or just beautiful acoustics. I think natural beautiful acoustics yeah. is just like... Very possible. Very up. possible. <laughs> I love it. Tom, you have really gone with me on a place exploration journey today in ways that I am beyond grateful for. I put you on the spot a lot, and I am so grateful that you were a guest on Sex Stories. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Ah, uh, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.